Pranakasha live stream. Hey folks, it's Matt at Pranakash Productions, and today we have our guests back once again, Burke Duncan and Jason Mark Harris, and we're going to be promoting their new edition of their book, Troll Tales and Other Scary Stories. And uh, before we get started, I'm going to start promoting my channel like you're supposed to on YouTube, which is, uh, if you like what, we, what you see, give us a like right down there, thumbs up, and subscribe if you haven't, and... Uh, share the video share it on twitter or facebook that always helps youtube will be happy with that and then also leave a comment and i promise that pranakasha productions will comment back so you'll have a little conversation with pranakasha productions aka pranakasha matt aka me so i'll be the guy that'll be coming back into you so do all that stuff and youtube will be happy and it will share the video more and life will be good all right, so we've got Burke with a new set of glasses. Yes. They're rather striking. Thank you. I like that. So is that just for um, impact, or is there some uh, corrective uh, lenses involved as well? Definitely corrective lens. Okay. All right, well, hopefully it will correct your mind also. <laughs> <laughs> can be done. Uh, obviously, now this is like the third time you've been on the show, right? Something the fourth. Yes. Okay. Plus, me and Burke went to high school together, so there's going to be an extra amount of jabs going back and forth. All right, and then Jason Mark Harris is up there lurking in what you were telling me is a walk-in closet that's a bit dimly lit. So yes, exactly right. Okay. So I rely <laughs> upon backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. wouldn't mind seeing some old clothes hanging on a hanger. Like that's what I have behind me. This is <laughs> basically a closet. You really just see the the wall, but you know. Yeah, I just thought people might like seeing this this revenant here, the the bloody indication on the phantom, right? And then scary uh, man back there, and revenant being a type of you know haunting spirit. So that's a certain class of haunting spirit. <clears throat> yes, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Within the glossary of our book, The oh. Troll Tale and Other Scary Stories. And if oh. I remember, Burke, you were always fond of pointing out that revenants can be affected by bullets. Yes. Yes, I don't know this from experience. I know it from research. Silver bullets? Not necessarily. Just bullets. Firing a gunshot over the head of a ghost will make it disappear. Hmm. They're also allergic, as it were, to steel or silver. Hmm. So, yeah. is it the S quality that is uh, particularly painful for evil spirits? I think it's because of the metal involved. A revenant, according to our glossary, is a ghost, especially of a specific person, as opposed to an impersonal spook with no known identity. Okay. So, revenant... Okay, there must be some meaning to that word. To revenant, that's like that means like reveal or something, or to, to return from the French, les revenants, revenir, revenir. Oh, revenir, yeah, to yeah, to yeah. come back, yes, or to return to back, revenir. Okay, often out of anger, unfinished business, usually single-minded vengeance, 
But many okay. hauntings are far gentler than that and even beneficial. Revenant. Is it revenant or revenant? Is that an E in the end? Nope. T. Yeah. This okay, is so then it's, if it's French, it's revenant. There you go. Yes. Mm -hmm. Très bien. Oh, well, revenant. in this case, on the other hand, it is a loan word. So we say revenant. Yeah. Isn't there a uh, Stephen King movie with that name or something? No, that was a Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle for which he won an Oscar. Okay. There's a bear involved and so forth. And okay, I didn't see that one. Neither did I. Nor me. Hmm. <laughs> well, what does that have to say about us? Nothing. <laughs> Only can do so much. Yeah. <laughs> I what? did see, well, what's the big one? Shoot, I can't even remember the name. Titanic. Well, I saw Titanic, of course, but what was the other one? The dream one? Well, Inception. Inception, yes. Inception, I saw that. Of course, you can't miss that one. But this book, it doesn't really relate to that so much. It would be closer to the others with Nicole Kidman or say, oh, what's another good one? Blair Witch. Oh, Blair Witch? Blair Witch Project, yes. That movie was coming out while we were researching this book. Oh, cool. Yes. To tell you the truth, I never saw Blair Witch Project. I just saw oh, clips wow. of it to know what it was about, but I never actually saw it. Well, I didn't either because the previews gave me nightmares. <laughs> All that camera shaking. I have a friend who he's really averse to camera shaking. Like it makes him nauseous. So there's a lot of shows he can't even watch because if there's too much camera movement, he starts getting sick to his stomach. So that Blair Witch for sure he would have never watched. Right. One of our yeah. informants thought that it was an actual documentary, so he came into it with a greater trepidation than many. Okay. Been through some of the uh, fabrication, but at first, you know, a lot of people thought it was a real documentary, which would make it scarier. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we talk about attitudes uh, about belief a lot in the, the book, and how that's an interesting factor to think about. Okay, you know what? Um, does the book have a new prologue? Yes. Okay. How about that? We've discussed it before. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about it again. Oh yes, that was the story of the standard. It has that was the prologue. Was the story of the standard? It is now. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm saying the wrong thing. Is there something before the prologue that's just sort of like a, a introduction? Preface? Yeah, a preface. Yes, we have a new preface. Let's hear that. Oh, yeah. Well, this collection first appeared in 2007. It had the honor of becoming a required text in folklore classes at the University of Washington in Seattle, Michigan, and Florida, better known as Florida Tech. You know what's I crazy? I'm sorry to interrupt. But... I've lived in all three of those states. I, I grew up in Michigan when I, until, I, until second grade. Then I spent a year in Florida. And then now I live in Washington. Where, yeah. where in Michigan? Yeah, where? Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. Yeah. My parents both graduated from U of M. Oh, very neat. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, sorry, um, Bert. Well, I won't read the entire preface to you. Oh, do. No. You have such a glorious yeah. voice. That would take up all of our time. We got oodles of time. No, we don't. These Tron and Kasha interviews go on and on and on, as you know. Mm -hmm. I had a three-hour interview, and I, w I was hoping we could break that record today. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, let's see. I perform jokes from the book at Campfire Yarn from the Full Tale and Other Scary Stories at a variety of bookstores, classrooms, and theaters. Another honor was to be listed on page XXII in the preface of the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, updated and expanded edition by modern folklore guru Jan Harald Rundvang. I remember him. Yes, he also gave me some interesting information, which helps to expand this book ever so slightly. Now, I thought you were going to do a gag about how to expand a book. Expand a book <laughs> if it's made of rubber, I suppose. <laughs> Dang, he didn't bite. Increasing okay. the font size certainly helps, and letting it float upon the water, you can thicken the pages too. I'm all for larger fonts, man. <laughs> Once you're over 50, big fonts are good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> important. Well, this preface does get a little sentimental. Okay. Because I talk about the late Robert McAllister. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah. He was a legendary teacher at Bainbridge High School. Yes. Well, sorry to say he died in 2014. I heard about that. He's one of the great storytellers in the book. He tells the river boys. And I use the present tense because the story lives on. Are you going to tell the story? It's rather long. It's a one-man show that takes an entire hour. Ooh. Yes, I will give you a summary thereof. Okay. I have a request for your YouTube channel. By the way, folks, Burke Duncan has a YouTube channel. And actually, he has a lot of really cool videos um, with toys and puppets and magic shows and all kinds of stuff. And then you just did that new preview of the, of the standard. Yes. So now my, my next request is that you do that one hour long play or whatever you want to call it on your YouTube channel. Yeah. Maybe later. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I don't mean right, right, right now, but like as a summer project or something like that. Yes. Yes, it's a campfire story that Bob McAllister heard at a summer camp in 1948, originally. And then he expanded upon it with his own life experiences. Mm. A little bit of fiction and some other weird life experiences. He saw a UFO? No, no, no. What happened (laughs) was, in the story, he and some friends, three friends, called themselves the River Boys because he was into Huckleberry Finn at that time. Wait a sec. There's a movie like this. Oh? That famous movie, you know, where the kids, oh, shoot, what was it called? At one point, they, they go into a, into a pond, and they all get leeches on, it, on it themselves. Oh, yeah. Nothing stand like by that. me. Yeah, yeah stand, stand by, by me. me. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Nothing like that. Okay. Sorry. This is going to be one of those videos where I come, I'm constantly throwing tangents. Mm-hmm. If, you're okay. gonna, if you're going to talk about leeches, you may as well get that out of the way quickly. So Okay. <laughs> We're set now. So did you have a leech experience or is there a story about no, leeches no, no, in there? not in here. Okay. Well, 
since we're talking about leeches, <laughs> I'm sure you have something to say about the supposed medicinal effect of leeches back in the Middle Ages. That didn't come up in this book. Okay. But at the same time, what old is new, right? The right. Same way the River Boys was revitalized and repackaged for a more modern time. Leeches themselves have been revisited in the past few decades for their anti-coagulant anti uh, abilities. In fact, they are still considered a rather sanitary approach, actually, to, to bloodletting. Not altogether merely in the dustbin of history. Okay. So believe me, fact check it. Okay. Which leads <laughs> us to yet another tangent, which is, do you remember the scene in Gladiator early in the movie where no. he gets wounded and then they put a bunch of uh, maggots in the wound to clean it out. Yes, I've heard of that kind of cure. It also cures dandruff. Well, I can see maggots curing dandruff, but then you yeah. have maggots in your hair, which is worse. Oh, <laughs> but eventually they'll fly away, so worry not. Yes. Okay. But now we're getting into urban legends. <laughs> All right. Contaminated. So, to bring bodies. it back, mm -hmm. what were we talking about? We were talking about the River Boys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The River Boys. McAllister. Dr. Yes. Bob McAllister. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, a la Huckleberry Finn. Yes. He and his friends. Let's see. John Delano, John Jernson, and some other guy. Lee Grant. They called themselves the River Boys. Okay. And they used to play tricks like rock, knocking on doorbells and running away. Or Bob pretending he was the hunchback of Notre Dame on the street. And so forth. Very creative, intelligent pursuits. Now then, okay. what, then there was a nerdy kid named Marvin who wanted to join their club. Marvin, of course. Yes, he would have to be Marvin. Any woggle, Marvin asked to join up, and one of the kids said, okay, what you do is you go to the haunted house, and you get a note from a jar that says River Boys on Halloween night, and you come back to us, and you're one of the River Boys. Hmm. And unfortunately, the kid believed in the story. And... While they were waiting for him Halloween night, he didn't come back. Uh-oh. The River Boys, all four of them, walked off through the graveyard, up the hill, and they got to the haunted house. And when they were inside, they heard a resounding snap. Snap? Oh, yes. Or crack, if you will. Crack? Yes. How about a rumbling? No. It wasn't rumbling. Or like scraping across the floor? Nope. No, because there was a specific reason. <laughs> they went up the stairs together. Okay. Great trepidation. They opened the door to where the kitchen had been, where they had left the note. And they saw Marvin with his head down on his shoulder like this. That doesn't it, sound comfortable. Well... He didn't need to be comfortable anymore. He had a broken neck. And then the river boys ran like mad all the way home. Like the three little pigs. Yes, all four of them. The four little pigs. 
And they told their parents. Police investigated. They never found out who done it. But for every 10 or 12 years after that, one of the river boys would die mysteriously. Mm. One of them was killed in a hunting accident. Oh. One died of a heart condition in his canoe alone while fishing. And another one, Lee Grant, died very strangely, falling down a cliffside and then drowning in a stream when he tried to get a drink from being dehydrated. But he fell down the cliff and survived, but then he <laughs> fell into the stream after that? Hmm. Either that or someone murdered him and police didn't care to investigate because he was a drug dealer. Hmm. And so Bob McAllister lived his life. But he started getting strange phone calls in the year of our Lord, 1993. 93, that was a good year. Yes, well, this voice kept saying things to him like, I want to talk to Satan. Bob would say things like, no, this is satin. You got the spilling wrong. <laughs> and then... The he should have said, what could I do for you, my boy? Well, he, this kid would call up. He assumed it was a kid. It sounded like a young voice saying things okay. like, six, 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 and so forth and so on. And then Bob McAllister would say, seven, seven, seven. Along those lines, he treated it as a joke. <laughs> well, as as any well-respecting Satan would. Oh yes. Well, at least according to the Book of Job. Well then, yes, that was another <laughs> of Bob's interests, but we won't get to it now. Oh come on! No, no, no. That's too tangential, even for you. <laughs> Go on. Anyway. Bob was the last speaker at an awards assembly, assembly at Bainbridge okay. High School. Okay. He was there to give out the theater awards. Of course. The vice principal came up to him, a fellow named Mr. Fritz. I think I, I remember Mr. Fritz. No, that was after you left. Oh, I, I imagined it then. Yes, you did. Yes, my mother said with a name like Mr. Fritz, he should have been a hairdresser. Well, of course. Yes. Now then, Mr. Fritz told Bob, you cannot take 10 minutes like you did last year. Just take five minutes. And Bob said, no, I'm going to take all 10 minutes. <laughs> and Mr. That Fritz was it. said, you can't do that. And Bob said, well, fine, then I won't do it. And so they had their little tiff, and Bob... Was this as he was walking up to the mic? No. No, this was an hour before. Okay. But anyway, Bob was sitting in the stands, and a teacher said to him, a lady teacher, said to him, Bob, will you hand out flowers to the seniors as they depart from the gym? And Bob said, of course. Bob ducked into the grandstand to get the flowers. And then he heard shouting, and he looked toward the microphone, and there was a kid from one of his classes holding a teacher around the neck as such, headlocked the teacher with a knife to her throat, and he was screaming into a dead microphone. And Bob, That's a true story. This part is, Bob, seeing this 
was thrilled because he thought, I've reached him. He's doing something theatrical. <laughs> and then the principal and a kid by name of Dave both approached the hostage taker. The hostage taker whipped his knife across the arm of the student, cutting him, and then the principal bravely grabbed the blade of the knife. Okay. You don't do that because it comes out easily. Then two teachers came to the rescue, two teachers with the unlikely names of Jim and Bim. Jim and Bim grabbed the hostage. Bim. Bim, yes, he had Bim. changed his name from Steve to what you just heard. Bim. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Tangents away. Anyway. Well, we'll, we'll loop back to that after the okay. after the punchline. So as they were hauling this young man away, he shouted, I'm the one you'll remember today. And they did. He got two years in jail for it. See, he had a delusion that he was the son of Moses. And it was his job to kill the Antichrist, Bob McAllister. Okay, hold on. Number one, I don't think Moses had a wife, did he? Yes, he had a wife. What was her name? Marion? Marion? That can't be. Okay, well, he was definitely married. Okay. And I don't think he had any sons, but of course, this fellow was psychotic. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he should have said that he, I mean, he should have invoked Paul or one of the apostles rather than go all the way back to Moses. You can't really put any logic to this. Okay. (laughs) Yes. He thought Bob McAllister was the Antichrist. Because, of course, sorry, because Moses wouldn't even know about the concept of an Antichrist. No. I mean, if it was Moses, he was probably still arguing about the, who is the Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyway, sorry. Somebody just chat us? Yes. Who? I was providing context. Context. Oh. Biblical context there. Oh, we got to. Thank you. But I can't click it, at least not from over here. Okay, well, c- could you tell us what the context is? Oh, yes. It, it, it's, it matters about Moses. Uh, a grateful Jethro gives Moses his daughter, Zipporah, in marriage. Despite the religious differences, they marry and have two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Uh, I had to look that up, though. Okay, so Moses was married, apparently. Okay, son. We don't want to be struck down by lightning, so it's good to Okay. <clears throat> Yes. Well, so Bob McAllister's time came for a bizarre death, and it did not happen. He was rescued. Hmm. Yes. Okay, wait a sec. He was rescued from the the kid with the knife? Well, by not being at the microphone at the appointed time. Oh, I see. Yes. See. Tell you, to tell the truth, what I thought the story was going to go is that nobody would know what to do, and then Bob McAllister would walk up to the stage with flowers and hand a flower to the kid with a knife, and then he would immediately surrender himself and walk away peacefully. I could see that, but 
unfortunately, that part of the story is true, so you can't make it too logical. Can't elaborate. Yeah. You can provide an alternate ending. ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So about the middle part of the book is about Bob's story and what led up to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jason, unlike me, would ask anyone we met for a ghost story. Like that girl okay. playing the piano in Hamden Hall. Or we went to one place to find out about a ghost, and instead we talked to, I think, the manager about her grandmother's psychic abilities. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. We heard about this l- last time too, right? College Inn. That's right, the College Inn. Oh, the College Inn. You mean at the U- no. in the U District? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. My roommate from college worked there. Oh, great. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Of course, I only went that. there once, so I hardly know anything about the College Inn except that my roommate would talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's like this one story was that her grandfather, the railroad man, rushed home. The flood, right? This one about the flood. Yeah, I'm getting to that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, he rushed home because a flood was coming. Are we talking the 40 days and 40 nights flood? No, this was a little later than that. (laughs) A few years had passed, and this railroad man heard that a terrible flood was coming to his hometown in Montana. He rushed home and his wife was already moving things to high shelves. And she said, you'll call me crazy, but I had a dream that the water was going to come up to this level. So I'm moving everything up to that level, to that shelf. And sure enough, that's how high the water came in their home. Wow. Yes. What does it have to do with the college inn? The lady at the college inn told us the story because Jason asked her for ghost stories. I see. She didn't know about the one in the college inn. So this was ghostly water as opposed to real water? No, this was real water, but the grandma had predicted it without knowing. Yeah, before the telegram came warning of the flood, she yeah. had a vision, and so she she had already prepared things, as he was saying, to get ready for this flood. Yes. So second sight. Okay, so, but where's the ghost? There is no ghost in this. That's a ghost is, story without a ghost? It's second sight, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's preternatural. Like oh, okay. a, a gift of a precognition. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Second sight, according to our... Sounds like more like prophecy than ghost story to me. Yeah, it's a psychic talent for being able to see the supernatural, also known as the third eye. Well, hold on. <laughs> Since you mentioned the third eye, well, the third eye is like the Agnya Chakra in, in yoga, right? It's just an energy center. So it happens to be right here on your forehead, kind of in between your two eyes, so it's called the third eye. But, so, how, I mean, focusing on that creates certain types of abilities. Maybe looking into the future might be one of them, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I've derailed all of us. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> including myself. Okay, sorry, Burke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jason met a lot of people, and okay, a lot of great stories. Up. So there was this uh, cafe called the Rain Dancer Cafe, for instance, and not only the proprietor had a, a ghost story, but uh, one of the the, uh, the waitresses there, uh, he told about how he was looking forward to having a ghostly experience at a certain location, though he was a bit of a skeptic, um, and gradually realized some of what had been forecast would happen. For instance, I mean, the clock stopped around 1.10 a.m. or so, and he started hearing what sounded like breathing, and he was telling himself, well, hold on a second, that could just be the cars going by. No location's wrong. Anything else it could be, and he eventually arrives upon the realization, no, this is actual breathing at the foot of my bed. And he, he talks about how his heart, you know, was really pumping at the time. Didn't see anything, but he was pretty um, intensely afraid. And it made him more open to other people's stories. Um, the waitress, Marta, working there, though, had a particularly interesting story because it involves the doppelganger. The double, right? And so what happened there involved her brother, who was sort of walking around the house and at some point was getting something prepared in the kitchen. Um, and says something to his friend, John, like, hey, it's going to be a few more minutes. And then John walks by some other part of the house and says, hey, I told you it'd be a few more minutes. And then as he sort of approaches closer to his friend, John, discovers, wait a second, this isn't my friend, John. He's right in front of me. Here goes my hand. My hand is going through this person. This is not John. <laughs> and that person kind of fades away. And then John, sure enough, shows up further down the hall saying, what are you doing? What is going on? And then um, the sister who was telling the story to begin with, she says a little later, unbeknownst to her that anything strange had happened, she saw this figure that looked like the friend John, but had a blank face and a see-through body and had sort of the posture and build of the friend John and just kind of hey. faded away. And she had never heard of even the term doppelganger, which made it all the more sort of eerie hmm. to have this, um, this claim of, of the other. Um, as a Star Trek fan, by the way, just to mention this, you're familiar with the salt-eating monster episode? Oh, yeah, of right? course. Those shape-changing, they're different sorts of doppelgangers. They're those that seem to change their shape because they have malign intent. And there's also the idea that it might be a representation of the soul outside the body, um, sort of the way of contacting, uh, you know, relative. Okay, hold on. So are you saying like... It's referred to sometimes as the wraith, the wraith, the ghost, the living. Okay. So the doppelganger so, has various categories, the double. So when it shows up as, like, would a person see a doppelganger of themselves? You might, yes. And usually okay. that's a bad omen to see it of yourself. Okay. If you see it of somebody else, it might mean a few things. It might mean that person is sleeping and having a kind of out-of-body experience. And they're just checking in with you. Okay. It might be that their their ship might be going down, and they're sort of reaching out to say goodbye, glug 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 glug. Or it might be somebody's just having some kind of spiritual projection, or it might be a malign entity after you. Um, in Yorkshire, England, um, the term is waft to refer to this wraith. And it was suggested if you ever see yourself coming at you, you curse at yourself. And this supposedly has worked in some um, some claims of uh, such experiences. So, so you give yourself the finger. Yeah, give yourself <laughs> the finger, just sort of 
get out of here. Yes. You know, whatever you are, what pre preferred profanity is. Okay. So that's one of the interesting things about folklore. There's no one rigid um, sort of advice for, you know, prophylaxis of protection of direction. There are different competing narratives. Except for wearing fresh garlic around your neck. That's you know always a good idea anyway. You don't want to make too many friends, so keep them <laughs> at it. So, but yeah, um, there's tales, for instance, of uh, you know the Talmud of um, uh, Solomon being uh, 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 sort of disrupted by Asmodeus pretending to be Solomon so he can you know, have affairs with his uh, his consorts and wives and so forth. Um, there's uh, similar stories in, in Vietnam of a this kind of cat demon that comes in the house and takes the form of someone there and wrecks havoc. Uh, and that's why I was thinking of the salt eating monster, for instance, in Star Trek, because that rather hideous creature, which rather startled me as a child when I saw it, you know, would mm -hmm. take the form of different people's sort of ideal woman, right? To, right. Or usually it was woman, not always, um, but to sort of cozen them to try to deceive them and uh, lure them into. Um, feeling complacency okay. yes complacency yeah yeah but, but that's one of the interesting things right seeing the double it varies um goethe supposedly saw his double as well but didn't recognize it till supposedly seven years later when he was wearing this some kind of gray suit and thought to himself oh my gosh that that was me i saw i saw myself seven years in advance so oh. notable figures have had such experiences of uh seeing themselves just so reason. in that case of Goethe, would that really be a ghost or did you just see some kind of weird time doorway reflection of him of his actual self? Yeah, so it, would, it wouldn't say it was a ghost, but you could say that it was at least his wraith. It was a, a projection of himself that was a kind of double. Uh, recently, you may have seen this, um, they've got this theory now of a mirror universe that might be explaining some slight inconsistencies of gravity and expansion measurements of the universe. So who knows? We don't worry okay. as folklorists whether it can be explained by science, whether it is indeed supernatural. We just collect the stories and have fun with that and compare things. Okay. That sounds fun. <laughs> yes. Indeed. So if you haven't seen your doppelganger yet, well, I probably just as well. But if you do, don't panic. There's more than one possible <laughs> explanation or sequence that could happen. So it's, it could be my good doppelganger or my bad doppelganger. Yes, indeed. Or maybe you'll see someone's wraith. Uh, Burke's mother, not to make it too personal, but she's in the book, right? Huh? She saw the wraith uh, of an ill relative uh, shortly before. No, died, I, no right? it was the neighbor. The neighbor. Okay. She yeah. saw her in the pantsuit. Wasn't that what it is? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was in the early 70s, maybe 1974 or five. I remember it at the time because... We had a nice neighbor across the street in Bellevue. Her name was Mrs. Copeland, and <clears throat> she lived in a yellow house. Well, she came down with a relapse of cancer when she was in her 80s after a 30-year remission. My mom and dad went to visit her in the hospital, and then my mother had a dream that she saw Mrs. Copeland outside in her front yard wearing a very elegant tweed gray pants suit. Hmm. And Mrs. Copeland's cheeks were rosy red, and she looked terrific. My mom said to her, I thought you were sick, and Mrs. Copeland said that she felt great. Well, when my mom woke up later that day, she found out Mrs. Copeland had passed away. Hmm. A few days later, my parents went to the funeral, 
When my mother came back, she was quite dazed because it was an open casket affair. And when she looked in the coffin, Mrs. Copeland was wearing that gray pantsuit, which my mother had never seen before in real life. Not only that, her cheeks were rosy red. Hmm. Wow. That is wild. Mm -hmm. I should mm. add, by the way, uh, Burke was mentioning how often I could just ask different people uh, if they'd had any ghostly experiences. Um, survey just came out in 2021, um, indicating uh, two out of five people in the United States uh, have reason to believe in ghosts, and one out of five claim they've had ghostly experiences. Hmm. So quite a few, in fact. So it's not too hard to uh, to hit the mark either with the person you're asking or they've heard of somebody, friend or family member. Many hmm. stories out there. Many indeed. Yes. Perhaps you have one, Matt. Well, Is that possible? I did hear an odd sound in my house the other day. Uh-huh. Let's hear it. Well, I heard this crashing sound, and I wasn't sure what room it was from. And then I was a bit concerned, but then I looked around, and I couldn't see anything, so I said, well, whatever. And then you know what happened? The next day, having forgot about the whole thing, I was in my bathroom, and I was taking a shower, and... I had my phone. I tend to watch YouTube channels now in the shower. <laughs> Make fun of me, whatever, if you want, but I do Ooh, that Who now. doesn't, right? What else would you do in the shower? Come I know, on. besides, like, <laughs> soap yeah. up. So I had right. my YouTube channel on, and then I looked down on the – it's a shower in a bathtub. So I looked down on the bathtub floor, and on the floor was this little – what do you call it? It's like a little timer, sand timer with little colored sand in it. Oh, yes, an hourglass. An hourglass thing that about this big with a suction cup on it. And you know what had happened? It had fallen down. It had fallen from its place on the shower wall where I suction cup it up and turn it the other way when I want to see how long I've done a shower for. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That would fall into the example of perhaps an anti-memorot, if I'm not mistaken. Anti-memorot. Anti-tail? Yes, yes, definitely. But there's a problem. You see, a, an hourglass falling like that is symbolic of your time running out. It does seem uh -oh. a little uncanny, at the very it least. It is uncanny. It is ominous. It was very nice knowing you. Uh. But if I put it back, didn't it give me my, me my time back? That may be true, yeah. Okay, well, there's one other twist to it. I, forgot, I failed to mention that in this shower, there's actually two of these. So only one of them fell. The other one was perfectly stuck to the, to the wall still. How poetic. Well, yeah, so maybe that just means that, that some aspect of my life, the time has run out, but the other aspect is fine. That's true. A transition. You may have just gone through a transition at the. Well, my wife just flew to flew to Hawaii today and left me all alone. Split. 
So that could <laughs> temporarily be a, split, Tempor a temporal split, yeah. not yeah. a permanent split. Yes. We discussed the simultaneous informatory experience Ooh. in our conversation about the story of the standard. Okay. You may recall that the standard floated away from its place in the sand spit. Ten right. years after it had been beached there, on the very day its owner died, and then yeah. it came back for his funeral on November second, seven days later, from October twenty sixth to November second, it was out of sight, and then it yeah it disappeared back. into the mist. Yes, and then it reappeared from the mist. Well, the, it was on the beach at the base of the cliff, yeah. on top of which is the cemetery. All 52 feet of the standard. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a slight sequel to the story that I've left out of both videos. The, right. After the event, the people in the neighborhood got in their rowboats, they got their ropes and poles, and they hauled the standard back to the sand spit and left it there. And no kids played on it again. <gasps> Eventually, the tides and winds and so forth broke it up. So, if I go scuba diving in that area, will I find the standard at the bottom of the... That's highly unlikely. It would have been washed away in pieces. How convenient. years ago. <laughs> now, when I asked for documentation for this, you did send me a newspaper article from, I believe it was 1949? No, 1945. 1945, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's that, but still, I mean, if you look people at could the, have just made that up. They could have, but anyway. You I need photographs. It. Yes. And better than that, I could use a, a movie, a 32-millimeter movie of with some kind of reference to a calendar. Yes, irrefutably yes, pro prove the story. Document the date. Yes. Okay. Yes, you need a Bigfoot type video, which are, of course, all credible. That and will do. Can, yes, the story of the standard has its own video, of course, on the Burke Duncan channel. Link in the description. Yeah, I see. Folks, you have to describe to, you have to subscribe to Burke's channel. It's good. Thanks. By the way, I, I should mention before I forget, it is a little obscure, but interesting to note. Um, the whole idea of the second sight, right? Having that spiritual perception is sometimes tied to the ability not only to see ghosts, to see doppelgangers, to see fairies. Um, Robert Kirk, um, Though his work wasn't published till 1815 by Sir Walter Scott, he wrote, uh, he compiled it in like, I think around 1695, various uh, fairy beliefs. And one of the things he wrote about was in fact, the belief in a kind of double, the co-walker. And it was believed this was a sort of correspondent of living people in the fairy world that would exist before, during, and after someone's death. Hmm. And indeed, sort of the, the ways that fairyland exists and the belief in the, the underworld, it's a sort of murky, intertangled mixture. Uh, and sometimes the idea of the spirits of the dead and fairies are not uh, quite distinct. Anyway, so that's an example there, because people who have second sight, you know, in Scottish lore, for instance, and their equivalents of second sight in other, other cultures, 
uh, is the belief that you can perceive the living and the dead, the supernatural beings, and so forth. There's some fairy legends, for instance, of fairies who will punish somebody for seeing them. They'll take out their eye. They'll put something horrible in their eye. They'll various things can happen. Um, anyway, so just wanted to put that out there while I was thinking mm. of it. It's an interesting kind of ways these things do tie together. The, the vision of ghosts, uh, precognition, fairies, and doubles. They're okay. not so different, in fact. All part of a nexus of perception and belief. Well, I just happened to watch a YouTube video about um, remote viewing. Mm-hmm. There you go. That would be close to second sight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these fairies are now are these fairies full full scale or, or are they like this tall? So that varies. That's one of the interesting things about fairy lore. And one of the things we did, I don't know if Burke men already mentioned to you in a previous interview, I, I don't think it came up, um, that we interviewed uh, a couple of people who had encounters with uh we sometimes call them the little people, right? Sometimes the fair folk, fairies, the good people, the other crowd, not always small okay uh the people we interviewed uh i'm trying to remember her alias <laughs> was it ashley yes ashley yes yes we called her ashley i wanted to call her ashley stoker because it's a pun but you wouldn't yeah. allow it yeah so ashley um had a kind it was a little bit disney-esque vision of fairies because um they had wands but they didn't have faces but they had sort of a nice little sort of glow to them and they appeared at a time which, which um, fascinated her. And then she also saw uh, what she thought were angels too, which had a more sort of reassuring. We lost and there was someone who was like a fisheries major. Yeah, okay. Johnny, I mean, Sean. What's that? <laughs> Sean yes, Gould. Yes, yeah. I always remember the fact, yes, I always remember the fact he was a fisheries major. He talked about seeing these, these little people, but he didn't use the term. He, I, uh, and they would sort of wander into his house. They would move around. He remembers sort of watching them as a kid, being somewhat afraid, but growing less afraid over time. And what was really remarkable about that was he described their skin color, you know, neither white nor black, not any kind of color. You typically see someone's facial features. And there's um, a folk belief about uh, fairy beings uh, uh, in Georgia, which says something very similar about um, about the skin and the roughness and also, you know, the size, that sort of childlike size. And his nephew went on to see similar beings, though his sister, who I believe was a psychiatrist, didn't think anything remarkable about it. He wasn't really too curious about it. It was a psycho um, she was a school psychologist and she thought yeah. it wasn't real. It was just something neurological. Now yeah, so in Hawaii and also, I think in the other Philippines, they have this this thing called a menahuni. You heard of the menahunis? They're, they're like more diminutive, right? What's that? Aren't they diminutive and sometimes invisible? Yeah, but they're also small, like mm -hmm. little gnomes. I think they're about that tall or so, and they and they're kind of capricious. I don't know if they're necessarily evil. They just like to play tricks on people. From what I heard. Yeah, and and though the examples you know we just gave were of uh, the fairies being smaller, uh, there are a lot of folk legends recorded where people first think they're encountering just people that later on sort of disappear and they realize, oh, those that was a, those are the fair folk. It's a fairy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And and they're not always so much fun either because, you know, they're they're tales of abductions, you know, changelings taking the baby and replacing it. Oh, very lovely. Stalk you and drain your vitality. They give you a stroke, the fairy blast. Well, this uh, sounds like UFO encounters. It sounds like UFO abduction and all that kind of stuff now. Well, what's interesting about that, Carl Stegen thought that it was a similar phenomenon, therefore being explained by uh, UFO mythology later. But the thing is, the fairy beliefs still continue. It hasn't gone away. So it's not that, you know, it's either or necessarily. And you look at Iceland, I think there's about half the populace believes in um, in fairies. And sometimes they'll suspend construction projects because of worrying about, um, you know, intruding upon or disrupting the sacred areas. Wow. Mm-hmm. So who knows ultimately, right? And don't forget, multidimensional universe. But these fairies all look humanoid, right? Like they don't look yes. like your gray alien with big buggy eyes or anything like that. No, usually not. But there are some disturbing traditional beliefs about fairies too. Sometimes that they have red eyes, for instance, hmm. and some fairies are vampiric. Um, there's some tales, uh, I believe, in the Irish mountains called the Reeks of, for instance, these pipers um, who thought they had encountered these beautiful women there. They were playing their music. And then one of the fellows discovers, oh my goodness, there's blood running down my friend's leg. And oh my gosh, uh, that woman there has deer hooves and he's running out of the cave entrance and all his friends get killed, but he survives. Tell the tale. Mm-hmm. Yes. That sounds like the sirens of Odysseus. Well, you get some overlap. You do get some overlap. Oh, yes, definitely. Hmm. The uh, Bilbun Sith. Speaking of, and I know you're so uh, a sci-fi fan, you might think of Star Wars. I'm sure where the, uh, the name was stolen from. There we go. Spilling it hey, out there. He's using Google. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm That's not cheating. Google. I'm not using Google. I just typed it out from memory. I may have misspelled the first word, though. Yeah. Oh, now we got another... Uh-huh. I read the word. That's all. Yes. Dude, the but, weird thing is, oh, maybe I. Oh, let me just suck. I'm gonna enable my chat. Hold on. Maybe that's my problem. Vampiric fairies, and some fairy tales of the uh, or fairy legends okay. of the. Uh, now the I can see the chat. Are, are lacto-vampiric. They're there to steal the uh, the breast milk of the human mother. Well, that's not very nice. <laughs> However, it's better than um, the. Uh, have you heard of the burning of Bridget Cleary? This is late 19th century and burned his wife to death and claimed she was a changeling. Which also mm. isn't very nice, but it was done. Um, some argue that it was done disingenuously. Others said, no, this was, this was his belief. Um, so of was course- this his defense we- at trial? It's a dangerous thing, right? The power of belief. Um, it can be, yes. <clears throat> I'm gonna use now. I'm gonna use Google because I know there's actually a book written about this, more than one, which may be okay. Well, I've heard of cases of kids who were allegedly possessed by demons who were killed by the exorcism. Here we go. I'm gonna put this in. Chat. What century did this happen in? The 20th. Okay. Okay, the one Jason speaks of. Irishtimes.com. That sounds interesting. 
The story of the last witch burned. Okay. But witch is used loosely, as you see. She, uh, the husband believed she was a fairy. Very changing. And what became of the husband? I think he was, was sentenced. Sentenced? Yeah, I think he was. Um, but what his sentence was, I'm not sure. And this is in 1895. Yeah. yeah. It was a while ago. But still late in the game. He was sentenced to 20 years uh, penal servitude. Hmm. And there were other people who were convicted of participating in this. So it doesn't, that's what's really interesting. It wasn't just one lone person's belief, but uh, there was a communal aspect involved there. Hmm. Wow. That did not make it into the book. No, uh, no. This comes to mind now and then when thinking of um, very unpleasant examples of changeling belief. Um, it's also been yeah. argued that maybe some people uh, rationalize their brutality uh, towards, you know, uh, birth defects and or just lack of understanding of what was happening with their, their infants, um, thinking that they were taken by the fairies. So I don't know if we have, you know, empirical proof of that. But it's well, I read about that, that some of the changeling belief comes from Rickett. Because the kids would be born, say, in winter or, yeah, probably winter or fall. And then they would be deprived of vitamin D as in sunlight and milk. So it would give them rickets. But then after a while, once they were around springtime, sunshine and milk and so forth, then their health would improve. Hmm. What's rickets? Well, that's a, that's an illness. Most it can affect the legs. Makes it'll make the kid bow-legged, and also it can affect the shape of the head for a while. Hmm. Okay. So take your vitamin D. Yes. Oh, and back day. to back to bullets and um, revenants. Iron is reputed to be a defense against the fairies. Hence, for instance, the horseshoe upon the door. Mm -hmm. a, <coughs> excuse me. Listen, mm -hmm. keep the soul inside. Yes. Not only that, but we want you to live. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well. I mean, the earth core is full of iron. So I guess the fairies don't live in the underworld then. Well, there's different accounts of that since they do have their, their hills. Um, but where the actual place of the fair realm is, is, is sort of weird physics. And you may have heard about trips to fairyland and the person comes back and all their friends are gone and maybe they're a generation later or they crumble to dust. So it's almost like a light speed time travel. Yeah, something. this is like a UFO encounter again. It does again have that that possibility, or at least the um, uh, some of the elements of it. It's interesting to think about. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. No denying it, but we don't know. All right, and then do these fairies? I mean, do they have wings like Tinkerbell or? Or is that just one class of fairy? No, that, that was Shakespeare's imposition. No need for wings when you're a magical being. You just fly. Okay, so they just use like, they're like spirit beings that just use the power of their mind to fly. Yeah, if they even uh, need to fly. Or they yeah. just sort of transport from here to there, kind of. 
bewitch style. Well, it's also invisibility. Yeah. Now, a lot of this probably comes from animism. Hmm. The belief that everything has a spirit. Well, that's not that un... I mean, unreasonable. No, not at all. I mean, you think about all the atoms, molecules, and such. Animism is pretty scientific. Well, actually, I've even considered that even an electron has a sense of identity. Is there a science joke coming? No, the, no, uh, this is actually, <laughs> I've actually considered, well, here's, okay, here's the other part. You know the business about um, um, when you entangle two um, subatomic particles and get into quantum entanglement, and then mm -hmm. it really upset Einstein because it made this possibility that they could influence each other at a distance at faster than the speed of light and such. Mm -hmm. Well, I, and people were saying, well, that's impossible. How could they? Well, here's what I say. That actually, every particle in the universe is really interconnected with all the others. Like, I mean, their sense of separateness is <clears throat> ultimately an illusion. So... Outward. Yeah. So they're all connected. So everything's connected and actually on a certain level in communication with everything else. So... And it's not limited by the speed of light. So something like that could easily happen in that kind of a situation. That's my take on it. Seems reasonable. Seems plausible. Why not? I mean, there used to be a theory that I, I can't remember who coined it. There was one physicist that had this theory that all the bajillions of electrons in the entire universe were actually all the same electron just manifesting in, in a different way. Hmm. Yeah, stuff like that. There's some pretty wild stuff out there. Yes. Yeah. Whatever one thinks, you're bound to get a charge out of it. Yeah. <laughs> a unit charge, specifically. We have to have a few jokes, since jokes are part <laughs> of folklore as well, right? Yeah. Yes. Humor. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that one. And laugh without guilt. Don't hesitate. That was from our very first Burke um, podcast or YouTube video. Yeah. Remember that one? Oh, yes. Well, yeah. Now, the thing, okay, I'm going to go there again. I think I asked this exact same question in that original uh, video was like, I don't even consider feeling guilty about laughing. So well, I'm like, well, it's not even a, an issue. <laughs> well, depending on the material, though, right? I mean, okay. if you're laughing at a joke that, you know, is putting somebody down, right, in some way, uh, that might be really hurtful, you know, it's quite possible there could be some guilt there. Okay. And the laugh itself might come as a reflex. So that's why we, we you know, one of the reasons why we were sort of aiming for um, material that's, you know, less likely to carry the burden of guilt. You won't go as deep into the, uh, the, the bowels of hell these jokes reading them i think okay so that's oh, like well. it, somehow you get pleasure out of seeing somebody else's um uh misfortune yeah i mean there are there is sometimes a, a sadistic component to laughter or sometimes okay. it's, oh i'm glad it's not me or sometimes the laughter of awkwardness relief recognition so many different things that can cause laughter 
horror and humor sometimes. Okay. Well, I know, like, to me, the best humor is when it points out some truth just about human folly in general. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, it basically, it just points out something that everybody's been thinking, but nobody's quite expressed. Mm -hmm. But then you hit it and you're like, ah, ah, yeah, that's it exactly. And that's the joke. And that's that's actually what Alexander Pope said of uh, of good poetry: "What air was thought, but never so well expressed in so many words." It says along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yes. So perspicacious articulation there. Is that this yes, spaceship from Space 1999 on your right? By the way. Um, no, actually, what it is. Um, that'd be cool if I had one of those. This okay. is actually oh, the um, shuttle. The shuttle. Shuttlecraft from TNG. A friend of mine from work gave it to me and it was been sitting on the bed behind the camera for like two months and then i realized well i should put this in the front so everybody could see it so yeah it's a shuttlecraft okay yeah at first yeah. I, didn't, I didn't i couldn't see whether there was a longer ship behind it the front of it reminds me a little bit of that one yeah but since we're talking uh props let's see if you guys can tell me what this is great closer okay so Close, closer yet Fish now? What do you think, Jason? Uh, show, show, let's see. Let me make it so I can see better. For some reason, I'm showing me Burke. How do I go back? <laughs> okay, say something, Matt. Me. There Hello. we go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or is that... Okay, so Krishna. Is it Krishna? Krishna, the dancer and singer? Yeah, it's Krishna. Okay. But actually, when you said Vishnu, that's partly right because Krishna is an incarnation of Vishnu. Preserver. So I got this from when I was in India in Maharashtra. Hmm. So like, okay, here's a quick Hindu um, lesson. Now, when you say Krishna in the U.S., everybody thinks that the Hare Krishna is a bunch of freaky hippies. And then you're done. You don't want to think about it anymore. But... In India, you say Krishna, and anybody who's a Hindu was like, oh, yeah, Krishna, I love him. Because there's all these stories. He's a famous, I mean, he's like the most famous avatar of uh, Vishnu. And there's all these great stories. I mean, he's when he was a teenager, he played the flute. And when he played the flute, it was so beautiful that that women, would, whether they were married or not or anything, they'd fall madly in love with him once they heard that flute. And there's all these stories of all the different adventures that they would do with him. Some of them got really erotic, you know. And when he was a kid, um, he loved to go and, like, steal. In India, they have um, ghee, which is like a clarified butter. was really commonly used. And he would go and he would, like, get in the ghee pots and eat the ghee and do all kinds of different little pranks that little kids would do you know, that would get their moms mad at him. He would do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he still, since he was actually an inf- incarnation of this of the god Vishnu, he had all these magic powers. So he'd kind of flip back and forth all the time between being a bratty kid and then suddenly he'd go slay some demon or, you know, kill this seven-headed dragon or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and then go back to being a kid again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a million stories like that, and it's, it's really fascinating. So anyway... So you, if you ever go to India, you'll see a statue like this all over the place. So, yeah, right by my shuttlecraft. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, we got the lava lamp. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I used to sell those. Good man. And then this, it's hard to see. Can you see the little dangle, dangly thingies? Yes. Dangling, but I can't see what those are. Well, it's just basically this lamp I found at, at um, Value Village. It's hard to see because of the lighting. Mm-hmm. And then it ha- it's just a nice kind of ornate lamp. And then it's got little plastic emerald thingies. Well, they're not emeralds, but jewels on it that if you do that, they, they wiggle. There was a gag I did in my um, in my Star Trek um, episode, the lava lamp episode two, where you would see those things wiggling in the background all the time. And what I did was, of course, I did exactly this before I filmed it. I wiggled them, and then I started filming it, and then added it in with the green screen. So it looked like they were just constantly wiggling all the time, like they were possessed or something. Mm-hmm. But it was just a little thing. Anyway, you twin, are you a Twin Peaks fan at all? By the way. Train pigs? Twin Twin Peaks. Oh, Twin Peaks. Um, yeah, I actually watched the show um, a long time ago, but I didn't follow the whole thing. Okay, I was just thinking of the doppelganger uh, again. So okay, but okay. Called, but speaking of Twin there. Peaks, I the same actor who plays uh, Paul Madib in, in Dune. In Dune, and mm-hmm. which yes. I still maintain is the best version of Dune. Is that many? Wasn't he all seventeen or something when he? Did that role was very young, right? And also, who was in it? Duke Leto was played by uh, William Hurt. Oh, hmm. are we talking also? Was it Kyle McLaughlin? Um, yes, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, yeah. I that, saw him once. That version of okay. Dune, in my opinion, is by far the best. Hmm. For one thing, they spread it out long enough. It was a miniseries, so they didn't have to rush you through it. Once Kyle McLaughlin. What's that? Hmm. Oh, wait, did, you, are you, you're speaking of the Kyle McLaughlin, are you not? Are you speaking of something later? No, it's, I'm talking about the miniseries that came out maybe. Oh, okay, not, not, the, not the earlier film. Okay, we, sorry, we got confused. We thought you were talking about Kyle McLaughlin's, the, the, the film that came out much earlier. When okay. did that one come out? Late 80s, wasn't it? Early 80s. Early 80s? Are you talking about, you're not talking about the one with Sting and yes, Toto? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. that. No, that okay, was a movie. For, I'm talking about the miniseries, which I believe came out after that. Okay, because of course the the main character in Twin Peaks plays the young um, protagonist there in Dune. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what was old was new again. Wait, am I getting confused? We're all confused now. It's okay. Which one are you talking about? <laughs> Who played Paul Madib in the? The one with that was Toto did the soundtrack. Um, is that the same as Paul Atreides? Yeah, Paul Atreides. Paul Atreides and Paul Madib are the same thing. Yeah, the the, the chosen one character. Yeah, that was by uh, played by Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin in, in the old eighties uh, film. Okay. Yeah. And then Sting was in it too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think okay. Oh, you're right. He was 1984, and that was directed by David Lynch. And there we go. That's the, oh, okay. In peaks, David Lynch. Okay, yeah. there we go. Okay, well, interesting. And I was not a fan of the heart plug business. It was a bit much. Oh, <laughs> that right out of the book. 
<laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, it was very visceral. It was a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> to witness on the screen. Now I'm more jaded. Yeah, but back yeah. then, it was a bit much as a young child. <laughs> How old were you? I was, I think, uh, 10 or 11. Okay, yeah, that would be a tough movie to take at that age. Yeah, at least it wasn't yeah. four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when they were filming Firewalks with Me, Twin Peaks cinematic film, mm-hmm. I was walking along at night in Seattle with some people, and Kyle McLaughlin was sitting outside of a hospital in a lab coat, wearing glasses. I guess they, he was waiting for the next shot, but this one girl had her jaw dropped to the sidewalk. <laughs> we, we turned a corner and she shouted, I love that man. <laughs> and then what did he do? Nothing. I mean, we, we were around the corner, so apparently he would never hear us. Mm. <clears throat> Unless that was a doppelganger. Ooh, could be. <clears throat> All right, back to the book. Okay, we've talked about the standard. We've talked about fairies. What other golden nuggets are we to find in this book? Poltergeist, right? Yes, there was a poltergeist, which I did not see. Now, t- technically, poltergeist, all it means is friendly ghost, doesn't it? No. Sound ghost, noise ghost. Oh, noise ghost, polter. Yes. yes. Okay. Not Casper. Yeah. Mm. Well, that was, that was when this boyfriend and girlfriend, Garrett and Holly, were visiting Holly's relatives in southern Germany. Okay. They'd, they'd hear noises. They were sleeping in the guest room attic upstairs. There was a little little closet where the <clears throat> where the peak of the roof goes down, where you know where the eaves are, there, the triangular closet. And it was always very cold near there. And then they would hear noises sometimes. There would also be these things in their backpacks that would be moved from place to place when everyone had been downstairs. And then one night, the boyfriend was coming into this attic room and he saw the shadow of a long-eared something with human fingers, long mm-hmm. fingers that were moving like this up and down as a shadow. Hmm. He turned on the light, nothing. So he yelled at the intruder, or maybe it was the owner, he yelled at the poltergeist, stay in your little room and leave me alone. Well, he told his girlfriend about it. She believed him. And then the next day, after they left this visit, they were on the train together. And the girlfriend said that she didn't want to disturb him in the home. But that night, after his experience, she had woken up and she had seen a little gray being with long ears. And she said to it, what do you want? And it disappeared. Hmm. Well, that sounds like an alien again. A little, but it's also like a kobold 
which is the household spirit. Hmm. Hmm. All right. That's one of the few stories in the book where we have a picture that is contemporaneous with the account. All right. This completely disproves Drake's equation and all the people that say, where are all the aliens? Elected. Is there some great filter that destroys all intelligent life once it gets to a certain point? And so, like, there's no, no aliens anywhere. How come we haven't seen any aliens? But well, all this folklore seems to indicate that there are lots of aliens all over this planet. Well, it wouldn't be UFOs because how are they getting past the telescopes? <laughs> uh, cloaking devices. But then they come here and they don't have the cloaking device? Well, most of the time they do, I guess. Well, then why are they so slipshod with their equipment down here? Well, that's a good question, actually. Yes. Maybe they're just sloppy. But or like maybe the people we see are like the the dumb, the interns or whatever that, you know, don't know the protocol. And so they mess up and then we end up seeing them. Okay, I'll accept that hypothesis. It's how we got Morgan Mindy. Yeah. Well, yeah, see, I mean, I'm pretty much, I think I'm pretty much of the, I'm of the camp that's like, you know, I'll accept that the planet Earth is just kind of a terrarium, and there's lots of aliens that basically are studying us, but try their best to stay out of the way, because they don't want to just mess us up, because they have some kind of version of the prime directive, a la Star Trek, you know, they want to leave us be, you know, and let us develop without too much interference. I'd buy that. Well, I should mention there were a couple other sort of poltergeist like uh, anecdotes in the book too. We had a playwright uh, who talked about visiting Lord Dunzany's castle in Ireland and how there was this very heavy uh, piece of furniture by the door, which he would um, put there to keep the, um, I believe the door open and it would keep somehow closing and he would try to watch it and he'd fall asleep and be moved. The door was open. Hmm. And also one of the other waitresses at the rain uh, dancer cafe, she talked about um, things like making noises in the attic and so forth. So mm-hmm. more so noise ghost sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, you've ever heard of Lord Dunzany by chance? He was, he was a fantasy writer, um, late 19th, early 20th century. Um, Lovecraft was uh, sort of a, I wouldn't say a disciple of him, but in some ways and was influenced by some of his, um, some of his work, sort of the, the dreamlands type stuff, uh, more so than the horror. But Dunzany also sort of invented a mythos with a, a kind of satirical edge to it. Huh. Yeah. Worth looking okay. into. Dunzany. Okay. He was a great fencer, an environmentalist and hunter, all those things together. Mm-hmm. So... And chess master, a real sort of superhero, a renaissance person. Yes, I have a question. Yeah, but did he play Go? I don't know. May very well have. (laughs) Now, I have a question for you, Jason. Did you ever remember the name of that fellow you called Samuel Barton in the book? Yes, I I, I have not as of yet. I need to go back to my earliest notes. That's actually one of the things I was trying to do. Um way way back um but yes i don't know his name i know by now he very likely would be be deceased um 
Yeah, my guess is it must be in the notes of um, when it was earlier drafting for Northwest um, folklore um, for the early issues, is my guess. Yeah, I mean, I do have a folder still with some informants. But yeah, if I find it out, I will let you know. Um, we're probably still not at liberty to say publicly. <laughs> but yes, he was a playwright in Seattle area. Um, he was an interesting person. Uh, hired me to do some copy editing for him on the project he was doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jason, you know, I just realized you live in Texas, right? Yeah, College Station. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. is that? Where is that near as far as the big cities go? Okay, so it's northeast of um, Austin, northwest of Houston, south of Dallas. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I thought Austin was north of Dallas. Nope, nope, nope. It's not. just sideways? Yes, yeah, it's uh, like a triangle. Like you got Dallas up here, you got Austin over here. You have got okay. Houston. My I, hands I, are backwards I, in this video, by the way, I see. I, um... Because I visited a friend of mine who lives in Dallas just a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't <laughs> even think of letting you know that I was a rent that was somewhere near. And we four hours, about four hours from here. On a lark, we ended up driving all the way to Galveston. Oh wow! Okay, well that's still something. Yeah. To nice to see. Yeah, and then we ended up staying over the night and then driving back to Dallas the next day. Or I got to drive back to Dallas the next day. It's a big state. Out. Yeah. Takes a while to get places. Yeah, <laughs> that's fun. Well, now I already want to go back. I, I had fun. It was it was cool. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, I'm afraid though the task that Burke was asking about finding Sam Barton's original identity is going to be difficult mm. because I suspect those notes first occurred when I had a word processor rather than a computer which means the files themselves may be strangely preserved or not preserved. They're not ASCII files? They may be that, um, but yeah, it would just be hard even to remember because I think I, I had to have strange file names for them and various things. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Anyhow, but we're not, we're not. We have the tales. And his anonymity is uh, preserved. Yeah. Oh, no. And we have also we have. I'm going to put the link in the description again for the for to buy the book on Amazon. Mm -hmm. so that's going to be cool. And then we've got Burke's YouTube channel, where Burke is going to do a puppet show of the entire book. <laughs> right. That sounds good. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. I'm sure you could do it. Or you could, or it's not a puppet show. It could be like one of those shadow things. Oh yeah, very Balinese. <laughs> or you could just open up the book and read it to the camera. That would be worth it too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Any of those things, Burke's going to do on his channel. Mm -hmm. Yep. So what else are we going to talk about before we wrap it up? I think we've been babbling for like 90 minutes already. They're about. Believe it or not. <laughs> so this um, book. 
Yeah, I may have to duck out because I hear the call of a chaotic being of under the kids. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, we're just about ready to to wrap it up anyway. So, uh, last parting shots. So, as we alluded to, the standard is only 55 feet long. It's not 100 feet long like we were talking about in the other video. Thereabouts. Um, and then uh, what else? What else do we need to write? Uh-oh. We're okay. Jason disappeared. He got swallowed up into the... Ether. Go, go. Yes, yes. I am crossing through the barriers here. I keep talking. But you look like this really demonic black thing now. Where'd it go? That's like that. Did you ever watch Lost? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You remember how in the end of the last season of Lost, you got to see a lot of that black thing? Yes, so uh, the black smoke, they call it. Yeah. There was a name for that in the glossary. The Lost Black Smoke had a name in your guys' glossary? Oh, yes. Yes. The Bacadou. Bacadou. Or okay. It's Scottish word for black spirits. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it had a historical reference to it. Yes, yes. It, it, in fact, in the film Ghost, it looks like something like that drags away the uh, the villainous uh, character. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what the demons from the underworld kind of looked like in Ghost, too. There were these sort of black right. spirits. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Scary. Yes. All right. Final parting thing before we all go away. Oh, I know. Oh, found something. What's that? It's a book, but we can't quite read the text. Is that the glossary? Oh. Oh, Bukadu. A, a Bukadu. Got it. Oh, I know what I can do before we wrap up. Folks, you gotta, you gotta like the show. You gotta give us a like. You gotta like, subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment. Uh, share the video. Whatever you can do that, to encourage the YouTube al- algorithm to look favorably upon us and, and spread this wonderful podcast or discussion far and wide. Yes. And we'll love you for it. It should be mentioned, as folklorists, you know, we have to wear many hats. <laughs> be prepared to go where you might argue no one has gone before, and yet in some ways they have. It's the nature of tradition and innovation. You explore what's been written and talked about, and you see how it's changed and how it compares. Motifs, tail types, all that. You have to keep an eye on what's happened before and what's happening now, which makes it very interesting. Great. Very good. Yeah. All right. Oh, what's that? Wait, what is that? This okay. is a broken microphone for oh. a uh, a virtual mic drop. Oh, okay. Did I... <laughs> just spontaneous silliness. Just I can drop fun. a phaser. There you go. That's good. If it's too loud, I'm putting on my... <laughs> I already did the phaser drop. I can drop right. a name. Oh, yeah, drop a name. Jan Harold Brunbond, who loved our joke. Ah, and, and it's hitchhiker and so forth. 
speaking of name dropping, and also you also met Mark. No, I didn't. You did. Are you talking Mark Oldshaker? No, I'm talking, oh, shoot, Mr. Sci-Fi. Mark Zickery. Mark Zickery, right. Zickery, yeah. Didn't he come and he came to like one of your book signings or something like that? No, 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 that was J.G. Hertzler. Oh, okay, I get it mixed up. It was J.G. Hertzler, you're right. But I have spoken with Mark Zickery. Okay, you have. And we both mm -hmm. met, no, I met John Douglas of okay. Mindhunter. But Jason was there, too. Okay. And John Douglas is in the book. Okay. And Jason, do you know who we're talking about when we're talking about Marcus Agree? I'm not sure I do. I may need a refresher on this. Well, the thing that sticks to my, in my mind that is the most impressive about him is that he was friends with Ray Bradbury and used to go to Ray Bradbury's house once a month to talk about, you know, writing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So okay, Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and then he also wrote, um, he was a writer for, for all kinds of different TV shows in, you know, like the 60s, 70s, and, and so on. Um, he did, well, like, for example, he wrote for uh, Sliders. And, I um, those, yeah. and then he has a book called The Twilight Zone Companion. So he's like one of the leading experts on The Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. And he's got, a, he's got um, connections with the... Um, Rod Serling uh, Foundation and everything. Um, so anyways, I mean, he seems to know everybody, actually. Oh, so, yeah. And, and he's, he's got his own show now. One of his shows that he's doing is called Space Command. In fact, I can, now, since we're doing a Mark Zickery thing. Have to tag him and David Lynch and get the, the world outside. The messing it up, but that's a Space, space Command. Space Command, very nice. Yeah. He's got a YouTube channel called Mr. Sci-Fi, hmm. and um, yeah, and he's on Twitter. He, he's not that active on Twitter, um, but he is there, and yeah, super uh, motivated guy. Both he and his wife are writers, mm -hmm. and they're both in their mid-60s now, but like he said, he's sort of retired, but not really, because he's got like, he's got six shows he's trying to pitch right now. You know, he's got this thing called this, I think it's called the Sci-Fi Network. He's trying to create like a little virtual network of all these different shows that are, have common themes and stuff. Anyways, lots going on with him. So, and he's also, maybe he might be the, the best name dropper on the planet. Let me get him going. <laughs> well, I think we better wrap it up. Yeah, let us wrap it up. So how do we finally... Do it in the proper way. I know. Good night well, and thanks for watching. Wait. Hold on. Good night hold on. and then. Don't forget to. The troll tale. Laugh without guilt. Two. Okay, I just faded us away. That was interesting. Oh Fantastic creations emerging spontaneously from the space of life. For the benefit of all beings everywhere, we gotta change.